0: Now, last weekend was marvellous, wasn't it? Uh, The Easter weekend was great. Um, If you have uh, social media of any sort whatsoever, I think you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? The Christians were going to town on social media over the Easter weekends, weren't they? Christians sharing uh, verses on Instagram, sharing hymns on Facebook. There was resurrection joy everywhere you looked. But I do wonder, subsequently, we're not making just a little bit of a mistake. Ask yourself whether you thought like this at all uh, over the past few days. Have you thought that uh, part of the reason that Easter was so magnificent this year is that it gave us a little bit of escape from the present misery of, of this pandemic? You thought like that? You know, Easter giving us this little bit of a distraction from our present misery of lockdown, but now that Easter is over, we're kind of back to this mundane drudgery of the normal pattern of Christian living. You thought like that? Well, is that? I mean, is it really a legitimate way of think? Should we be thinking like that? Or let me be a little bit more precise, shall I? Is it the case that the Christian life is just mundane despair punctuated only occasionally by moments of joy or could it be that the gospel is just so magnificent the gospel so tremendous that what Christ has done for us can bring us joy and joy all year round well this morning as uh, you and I turn back to First Peter what we witness immediately, I think, is a big switch, a big shift. That Peter goes in chapter one from focusing on our wow our future hope and our inheritance. Do you remember that from last week? He goes from focusing on our hope, our future inheritance, to focusing on our present suffering and our present trials. So what might we think? is going to happen here if he's going from all oh, future hope to present suffering we might think like easter we're about to hit and come back down to earth with a bit of a bump right the things here in chapter one are going to be oh, they're going to get a bit grim but nothing could be further from the truth in fact just if you've got a bible there and you're in first peter just have a look at it with me this section see we know i hope what an inclusio is that's when, isn't it, uh, an author frames a section in the same way, begins and ends a section in the same way to, to make or draw our attention to a significant theme. Well, in this section about suffering, what's the inclusio about suffering? Have a look in verse 6. It's about suffering and he says, in this you rejoice. And then in verse 8, how does he end it? Remember, it's about suffering, and he ends it as well. You rejoice with joy. (laughs) Isn't that something? Did you see what it means? It means this, right? Get this at least. That just as a puppy or a kitten is not just for Christmas. So, Christian friend, joy is not just for Easter. We are going to be shown in this section of Scripture that Christians can and ought to and do, do have the basis for joy all year round. More than that, we can rejoice even in the face of suffering. You and I can rejoice as Christians even in the face of a horrible pandemic. So, with these things said, can I just make sure that you've got your Bible there in front of you? I will be drawing up verses on the screen, but it's going, to, it's going to benefit you so much more if you've got a physical copy of Scripture in front of you. So run and get it. You got it. Brilliant, that was fast. Uh, and the first thing that I want us to notice here is this. First thing, joy found in the nature of suffering. Joy found in the nature of suffering. Okay, before we get to what I really want to kind of get my teeth into uh, under this first heading, I think what we have to do is to just notice the object or the, the focus of these Christians' joy. Okay? If you look at the beginning of verse 6, you'll see exactly what I mean. So Peter says, now remember they're suffering, they're going through trial, and Peter says, in this you rejoice. In this you rejoice. So you kind of see what question we ask. We say, well, Peter, what's the this? Like, in what are these Christians rejoicing? Is it the revelation of your salvation that you've just mentioned? Is it the new birth that you mentioned? Is it the inheritance? Like, what exactly is it? Well, I think the best way of understanding Peter's words there. It's actually to see that it's all of the previous section that Peter has got in view. So you with me? Everything we looked at last week, all of that stuff, that's what Peter's got in view. That we're actually given this picture of Christians in the midst of trial, in the midst of suffering, but they're rejoicing and rejoicing in all that comes to them through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You follow? So they're rejoicing in this, all that Christ gives you in this you rejoice despite suffering. Okay, fine, great. They're, rejo- they're rejoicing, they're happy. That's brilliant. But let's try and get to the nitty gritty. Let's get to the real meat Because I think this, this is quite something. I think that even in the way that in chapter one, Peter talks about suffering. N- no, even in the way that Peter describes Christian suffering, describes your suffering as a Christian, even in the way he talks about it, I think there are real gems of encouragement for your life, Christian friend. So this is what I want us to do. Might sound a little bit weird. Stick with me. Okay. So what I want you and I to do is to read really slowly and carefully verse six. We're going to read it though back to front. Okay. For reasons that may or may not become apparent in a moment or two. We'll read verse 6 back to front, and what I want to do as you read that. I just want to draw your attention, your eye, to four things he says about your suffering and your trial. Each one brings uh, hope and encouragement. Okay, so we're going to do this back to front, verse 6. Okay, first thing to notice, ready, is that these things are, or we face diverse trials, diverse trials. Have have a look just at the end of verse 6. Like, what does he say? He says, these trials he's suffering, they're various ideas, or all kinds of trials. Now, you can say to me right now, you can say, well, Andy, that does not sound very uplifting, and that doesn't sound encouraging. The fact that the Christian isn't just set to, to have one type of suffering in life, but there's going to be manifold, manifold, different types of suffering, but I, I'm saying to you, it's the opposite. Like, genuinely, I'm saying that this is encouraging. See, think about what we know. We know now that Peter is not being narrow. Like, he's not tying his thinking down to one specific type of trial or suffering. What does that mean? Listen to how excited it is. It means that the joy that comes from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is a joy that transcends all forms of suffering. And all forms of joy. Did you hear it? The joy that comes from the resurrection, it transcends uh, the suffering of illness. It transcends the trial of temptation. It's a joy that can transcend the joy, uh, the suffering rather, of of demonic attack. It's a joy that transcends even a pandemic. You see? Then, second, work back the way. Verse six, work back. Notice it's also these things are also serious serious trials see what do you see if you've got in front of you i suppose it depends on your translation so you've either got that these trials mean that we are being grieved or i think it's the niv that says these trials that we go through mean that we are suffering grief okay now (laughs) again you can say to me right man there's no way that that's anything but bad news, right? So the reality that the Christian doesn't just experience one form of trial, but the promise from scripture that the Christian is going to face serious suffering, serious difficulty. There's no way that that's anything but bad news. You see, look again, I'm, I'm going to point you to the upside. Don't you, don't you see what's happening there? What do we learn there? We learn that God takes your suffering very, very seriously indeed. He describes it as grief, as true grief. He takes your suffering really seriously indeed, Christian friend. And <clears throat> In a world like this, isn't that marvellous news? Doesn't that bring you hope and encouragement? You know what it's like when we're suffering in trials. Like our world, our society tries to minimise it, it, tries to ignore it. Isn't it so difficult to find anybody to have any sympathy when we're suffering? Anybody to talk to, anybody to understand, anyone even to listen. And what do we have here? What's God doing? He's saying, come at me. You know, we are shown some return. God knows. God understands and God sympathises with us. Then the third, are you still working back in verse 6, are you? The third thing we learn is that these things are necessary. Twice, can that be right? Have a look at scripture with me. Have we got this right? Like Peter says, if necessary, we suffer. Now, that's so weird. I've got to pause, don't I? I've got to slow down a little bit, take a breath, don't I? And I think I've got to ask you, what do you think is meant by, if necessary... We suffer. What do you think? What do we learn there? Do you see it? We learn beautifully that there must be a hand behind our trials. Isn't that if necessary? It it tells us that someone is there. Someone is deeming our suffering necessary. We're learning that unlike the world, (laughs) that sees stuff like a pandemic as just complete fate, right isn't that what you're hearing from your society you know pandemic's just one of those things it's purposeless there's no cause to it unlike that what does a christian know a christian knows hang on end like that a christian knows a trial comes into my life why because a faithful god a holy god he doesn't just see that these things are right he sees it as necessary for my spiritual good So these sufferings are diverse, they're serious, they're necessary. But the last of these into this heading is that, uh, praise God, these trials are brief trials. So we've stuck it in reverse, haven't we? We've reversed back through verse 6 and we come right to the beginning of verse 6. Read it again with me. Read it. Do you see? In this you rejoice. How welcome are these words, right? In, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while <laughs> you suffer. For a little while you suffer. Now it's probably unnecessary for me to point out to you, friend, that the brevity that Peter is talking about there is not the brevity of suffering in this life, is it? It's not, is it? We know people who suffer with disease, cancer, for for decades. We know people who suffer uh, with illness and trial all their life long. It's not brevity of suffering in this life. No, no, what's Peter doing? In fact, what is Peter encouraging you to do? Do you see? He's encouraging you to adopt an eternal Perspective on your trial, to, to view your trials, your suffering against the, the span of eternity. In fact, his thinking and his wording here is very similar to wording at the end of this letter. Let me read it to you and you pay attention to the perspective here. Ready for it? He says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ he will restore confirm strengthen, and establish you and when you recognise that and you see it again you're face to face with the fact that our suffering is just fleeting compared to the enormity of the glory that is coming to us you're with me in What I said earlier on, even in the way Peter describes our suffering, there's hope. Isn't there? Isn't there? There's joy. There is encouragement. Friends, yes, our suffering is real. It is. Like, it is significant at times in this life. But we have a God who hears us. We have a God who helps us. And ultimately, we have a a God who provides us with an imminent coming, home, a future, and it's a future, absent. Of all trials, absent of, absent of all tears. So we see first of all, joy found in the nature, even in the nature of our suffering, there's joy. Second of all, we see joy found in the purpose of suffering. Did you get that? Joy found in the purpose of suffering. Now, what have I just said? I've just said, haven't I, that in contrast with our society that sees suffering as just meaningless, a Christian knows that there is purpose and cause behind our trials. Isn't that right? And if you're a Christian listening to this, verses like Romans 8, 28 really spring to mind immediately. Don't they, you know... Uh, all things work together for the good of those who love God and called according to his purpose and so forth right we know there's cause right you know that do you there's cause and purpose behind trial and suffering in the christian life fine great i wonder hmm i wonder if you'd agree with this that it is one thing for us to know that there is purpose behind suffering and it is another thing altogether if we could somehow know what that purpose was. Wouldn't that be epic? Wouldn't it be great? Like it's one thing to know, okay, God's got a plan for our suffering. Okay, that's great, and that is great. But wouldn't it be amazing if we just were able to find out what that plan of God through our suffering actually was? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't it would be great. In light of that, honestly, something here before you, I think that verse seven of First Peter chapter one is a total game changer. Like, this is, where we get to next, is a life-changing, game-changing verse, okay? See, do this with me. Just look at the first two words of verse 7. Do you see them? He says, he speaks about suffering, and then he says, so that... Do you see how significant that... That's a purpose clause Isn't it? That although Peter here is not going to... Of course he's not going to tell us uh, the exact purpose behind every instance of suffering we're ever going to face in our lives. Of course it's not that. Do you see what Peter is about to do? Peter's just about to tell you the big picture stuff. Peter's just about to show you why it is that Christians suffer in this life. Isn't that amazing? Are you hearing that? Peter's about to tell us why we suffer. Why this happens to us. So what does he say? Yeah? Well, this is so critical and so important. I'm really desperate for the kids who are watching this uh, to follow and be able to catch this and grasp this. So if you're, uh, if you're younger, if, would you listen to your minister just for a moment? So I've got a question for you, boys and girls. I want you to tell me if you know what is meant by a crucible. Have you heard of that before? A crucible? Yeah? Maybe not? Well, let me bring this up in front of you here you watch this you have a look there what do you see? that's a that's a crucible okay so a crucible is a it's like a heat resistant furnace sort of used in metal work so you can maybe get the idea do you boys and girls an ironmonger will put a uh, will put metal onto a sort of long rod and he'll put it into this furnace this crucible and he'll melt the metal down now some of you are watching thinking what is he talking uh, about but if you look at your text you see it look at verse 7 so yes peter says well why do we suffer he says suffering you suffer because it's a test of faith the suffering is a test ground for faith yes he says that but look at the image or the analogy that he uses do you see what it is it's gold it's it's gold going into a furnace into crucible and i think through that, we learned two really important lessons here. We stick with this, please. First of all, we are taught here about the value of our faith. The value of our faith. See, uh, let's just imagine for a second that because of this coronavirus, you're gonna have to take a career change. Alright? Complete career change. And let's say, all of a sudden, you're made an ironmonger. Okay? <laughs> That's, that's a bit of a clear change from most people watching on, I reckon, but that's the way it is. Surprise to me, surprise to you too. You're an ironmonger. Okay, fine, right? Well, answer me, what's one reason, uh, in your new job as an ironmonger, what's one reason that you would put gold into the crucible? Why would you put gold into that furnace? You see, do you? Why would you do that? You would do it, would you not, to remove some of the impurities Right? As an apprentice ironmonger, monger. You, you get the gold, you put it onto this long rod, you stick it into the furnace and it melts, is molten, and then you remove these impurities, don't you? You take away the impurities, you take it out, it cools. And what are you left with? Compared to what went in, you're left with something more valuable, something that's worth it, something more precious. Don't you see? That's what God is doing with you in your life. Why do we go through suffering? Why do I go through trial? Don't you see it through this crucible of trial? God is helping us to see just how precious Christ is. Just how valuable our trust and reliance on the Lord Jesus Christ really is. So that's one lesson, value of our faith. The second lesson, though, uh, is, well, yeah, you answer me this. You're the ironmonger. What would be the other reason that you would put a gold-like metal, why, why else would you put a gold-like metal in a furnace, in a crucible? Come on. You, you know that expression we have in English, don't you? All that glitters isn't gold yeah, that's right, sometimes a piece of jewellery or whatever it might be it looks valuable, it looks precious and it turns out it's it's anything but. So why put this gold-like metal into the furnace? You see what happens? It's melted down it's inspected, it's revealed whether it is authentic or genuine or not and again, Christian friend don't you see the lesson for us? Why are we put through this crucible of Suffering and trial. Why? To reveal the authenticity, the genuineness of our trust in Jesus Christ. And why do you see that is true, isn't it? There's hope. There's delight even here. We can rejoice, Christian friend. Even in the co-face of suffering. Why? Because through our suffering, God is at work in our life. Through your trials... God is refining you. Through these trials, God is, he's moulding you, ultimately through through trials. God is helping us and others to see, yes, it's true. These people, they do love Jesus. These people, they really do have faith in the Son of God. So... We've seen joy found in the nature of suffering. And we've also seen joy found in the purpose of suffering. Here's a third thing for us to notice and to consider. Please heed it, will you? We also see here joy found in the rewards of suffering. Joy found in the rewards of suffering. Now, if you've been tuning in to these videos we've been putting out in recent times then perhaps you'll remember a couple of weeks ago that our assistant minister, Harrison Perkins, he spoke to us and did so from Psalm number 24. Do you remember that, Psalm 24? If so, you'll remember that in part of that psalm, the psalmist kind of gives this big clarion call, this big rallying cry. Remember it? He says, lift up your heads, ye gates, lift up your heads. Well, I do think that there's something similar in Peter's uh, mind and Peter's view in this chapter of Scripture. That he wants his readers, you and I, he wants us not just to focus on the immediate, but he wants us to lift up our heads, to look ahead to a time where we will receive blessing through suffering. And it's not just, it's not just ahead in the future, but Peter ties this to one specific day. Okay, one day ahead. Where there will be blessing through suffering. Okay, now, if we've got this right, and I think we do, there's a couple of things we've obviously got to deal with. First of all, what's the time scale? Like if Peter's zeroing us in on one day, what, what day is that? Well, have a look. Look at the end of verse 7. Do, do you see it? Peter says that something is going to happen because of suffering. And look at it, it's going to happen. At the revelation of Jesus, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Can I just turn that back to you? Throw it back to you there. Like, what do you think is in view there? Come on, the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's that? What would you say? Come on, would you say, well, as Christ's return? Would you say that's the second coming of Jesus? Well, yeah, it is. But there's more to the revelation of Jesus Christ than just his return. Because friend, you need to understand, Christ is returning to judge. The earth, isn't he? Are you, you hearing that? When Christ comes back, you, you and everything in your life will be under a scrutiny and it will be examined by the Lord your God, okay? So that's the time scale, this day, the revelation of Jesus Christ. We've got that. What's the next thing we need to deal with? What happens on that day? Oh, friend, will you not read these words with me? Look at it in verse 7. Peter tells us something is going to happen because of suffering. What is it that's going to happen? Verse 7, we suffer so that the tested genuineness of our faith, look, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour. (laughs) It sounds uh, awesome, doesn't it? Praise, glory, and honour. But we've got to be ever so careful here. Because who do we normally think about when we think about those terms? Who receives usually praise and honour and glory? You say what? Christ. Yes? God. But I genuinely think that that is not what Peter's talking about. That's not what Peter's thinking about. Like if we've got to understand scripture, we always think about context. Don't we? That's key for us understanding anything in the Bible. Context, 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 context. It's critical. And you remember it from last week, don't you? What is Peter talking about? He's talking about our inheritance. He's talking about the revelation of our salvation on that day. He's talking about the hope, the living hope, the fulfillment of that, the glory that is coming to us. Don't you see it? Who, through suffering, is set to receive praise and honor and glory? Who is it? Christian friends. It's you. Do you see The revelation of Jesus Christ because of the suffering we endure now, we are the ones who receive praise and honour and glory. The thinking is so close to Paul in 1 Corinthians 4. Paul says this, when Christ comes back, he shall bring to light the things now hidden in darkness. He will disclose the purposes of the heart. And what will happen? Each one will receive commendation from God, praise from God. Isn't it exhilarating? Christian, isn't it so encouraging that though suffering is, of course, not not the way that we earn or attain or merit salvation only, Christ Jesus can do that for us. You know as well as I do, don't you? Suffering is the road by which we travel now. Suffering is the road. We have received salvation from Christ, but now we walk along this path of suffering Until such a point in the future, on that day, where we shall stand before our living God. And by grace what shall fill our ears, what will our God say to us? By the grace of God and the work of Christ we will hear, Well done, good and faithful servant. So we see the joy found in the nature of suffering, the purpose of suffering, the rewards of suffering and I just want to end the sermon, I want to close it off just fourthly, considering joy found in the motivation for suffering. Joy found in the motivation for suffering. And here, as we close, in a sense we're just kind of coming back to the beginning of the sermon, because you remember at the start I talked about uh, brackets and inclusio of joy Right, well, we're coming to hit the second bracket, aren't we? And isn't it amazing to see how joy at the end is described? In verse 8 we are told that these Christians have, actually they have joy inexpressible. Like a joy so deep, so rich, it's described as filled with glory. So again, we're kind of asking, aren't we, it's like before, we're asking, what's this about? How can they have such joy? What is the focus of this? How would you answer that? Would you say just as before? It's about salvation. Peter says that as as we end. that that They're rejoicing because they're obtaining the salvation of their souls. Is that it? Is is, it as clear as that? Yes. But I do think fundamentally, actually, the answer is more familiar to you if you're a believer. And I want you to hear this if you're a Christian. If nothing else, if nothing else has passed you by today, make sure you grasp this that peter here is motivating christians for suffering by reminding them quite simply of the gloriously intimate relationship they have with the lord jesus christ you hear it he's pushing christians forward through suffering reminding them of the the beautifully personal connection they have with the christ himself look at the words Look at it, do you see it? Though you have not seen Jesus, you, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you, you believe in Him. Do you see He's pushing them through this suffering, reminding them of the one that they love so much, the one that they long for so much, their Saviour, their King, their Lord. And, and sitting here, as I am, speaking to Christians who are like, like this, going through suffering, I don't need to remind you of how special Jesus is, right? I don't need to remind you, do I, of of what Christ has done for you? We know the answer. We know it really boils down, sums down, one word. What has he done? He is he's this, this. He's he's suffered. For you, for me, he suffered for us. Do you know that the root word that Peter uses here for our trials is the same word that scripture uses time and time again for what Jesus Christ has endured in his earthly ministry? Do, do you hear that? What do we know? Christ has suffered for, for you. He loves you so much he suffered for you. Christ Jesus faced Satan in the wilderness. And what happened? He suffered for you. Christ Jesus, he faced agony in the garden. Why? He suffered there for you. Christ Jesus, he faced God's wrath on the cross at Calvary. Why? He suffered there for you. We see how special he is. We see how wonderful He is. He is our suffering Saviour from sin. And so, yes, Easter weekend is marvellous. It is such a moment, but let's not get this wrong. Such is the extent of Christ's work. Our joy as Christians is not confined to one weekend of fifty. Is it such is the work of Christ and his death and resurrection. Ours is joy today, ours is joy tomorrow, ours is joy next week, ours is joy throughout our life, ours is joy that will only grow throughout eternity. So may it be if you are not a Christian who is joining us today and watching this video, and you're not a Christian, may it be that today. You give serious thought to this real joy that Christians have. This real joy in the gospel. Oh, please, if you're not a Christian, hear me. Hear me. The joy of knowing Jesus Christ is the only joy that truly can transcend suffering. Did you hear that? The joy... Of knowing Christ as saviour and lord and friend is the only joy that helps us to truly end and truly rise up and rise high above even a pandemic such as this. Friends, will you join me now? Let's look to Christ and let's pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, our Sovereign, our King, Lord, in a way we can thank you that you count us worthy to suffer in this life. We thank you that we, unlike our world, are not left thinking that suffering and trials are empty and purposeless and meaningless. No, no. We understand you are at work. Lord, help us by your Holy Spirit. Take us through these things, focus us on Jesus Christ, focus us on the time, on the moment, on the day, for Jesus Christ shall return and shall be revealed before every eye. While we pray these things for the sake and in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.